0: complicated. Has life got complicated for anyone this week? Or is it just me? Life got a little bit complicated. If there's one thing we've been carrying on about over the last few weeks as we've delved into the life of one particular person by the name of Joseph was that his life got complicated awfully quick. And uh, what we've learned over the last two weeks is that part of the complication of Joseph's life is that he had 10 brothers. And one day his brothers decided that they wanted to do something, they did a deal to get rid of him. And they thought that uh, if they could sell him down into a land of slavery, that they'd be done with him for good, short-term pain for (laughs) long-term gain. The only problem is, is that life often has a way of catching up with ourselves. And we're going to cover that over the coming weeks as we delve into what is one of the most dysfunctional families in the life of the Bible. And in fact, this particular family has so many complications that you might have gone away over the past few weeks going, hey, I think I could follow God too, because if that family's like that and they follow God, then I reckon I might be able to get a good crack of it myself. Because along the way, what we discovered is that there's not only complications, but life gets worse for Joseph. He's ending up in a jail in a foreign land. And uh, if he's wondering what am I going to do from this place and where am I going to get out, the the situation looks bleak ahead. The one thing we discovered that's overhanging his family though is that his great grandfather by the name of Abraham had a promise that went something like this that God relayed to him and I'm going to flick this thing on so that we know There, God speaks to his great grandfather by the name of Abraham and he says these words to him, I will make you into a great nation I will bless you, I will make your name great, Abraham, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on this earth will be blessed through you. You can imagine if that was a promise over your family line and lineage, what the expectations would be like for you. And over this particular family's life, Abraham, there was this understanding and this idea that God was somehow going to use him and his offspring and his ancestry to actually impact the world. That somehow by looking at his family and the relationships within, that they might shine forth something of who this God is to the world and it might go in some way towards fixing it. In fact, they didn't know at the time, but there was this expectation, this idea that someone from their family would come who would put the hearts of children back towards God, who would put the hearts of people back towards their maker, that there would be someone who would come like a rescuer, who would break the power of wrong and sin that's infiltrated this world, and that that would be used, that that person would be used to transform his world for good. And so that kind of promise laid over the family line. But the only problem is along the way is that we've found that this particular family has moved from one challenging, complicated situation just on to the next. If you'd like to follow us this morning, if you have a Bible with you, you can look up Genesis, the book of beginnings, chapter 39. Or if you want to just download something on your iOS device, and you can follow with us, chapter 39 and 40 of the book of Genesis. But this is where the story picks up. After the dramatic presentation just a few moments ago, just in the time which you thought maybe Joseph's life would start to look up, this is what actually is said about him, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord, that is Yahweh, had revealed Himself to Abraham, was with him. Let me just read that again. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Can I just hit the pause button for a moment? I-, I thought that when people became God followers, when they followed Jesus, when they believed who He was, that that. Those two things kind of wouldn't happen together. I thought that when someone decided to follow God, that they would have this invisible bubble wrapped around them. Do you know what the bubble I'm talking about? The, the, the bubble of there are no problems and complications in my life. Huh? But in this passage here, it says that there, is, there he was in prison and God was with him. Wait a second, how do those two things exist together? Something bad happening and yet something good like God being with you know the invisible bubble I'm talking about? That idea that, that when you come to know God, that there, is no, there are no complications in your life. In fact, if you had any complications, they become uncomplicated. You know what I mean? So if you had a complicated house, you come to know Jesus and it gets uncomplicated. Yeah. If you had a complicated job, you come to trust in God, and it becomes uncomplicated, right? If you have a complicated family the family kind of straightens up and lines up and it becomes uncomplicated. You know the families I'm talking about? The ones that smile, that there's never any problems, never any issues. They turn up on a Sunday morning, they're all smiling. Do you know that their teeth get straighter? Yeah, (laughs) by following God. That invisible bubble, that, that idea of that there's a perfection and that it'll happen and that it'll just happen to you when you follow God. You know what I'm talking about? In fact, what we discover here is one of the great mysteries of of following and trusting God, in fact, of following Jesus, is that both of these two things can happen together. The bubble is invisible because it's not real. You see, there are some people in God's economy that bad things can happen like prison and God could actually still be there with them. The bubble, if you like, doesn't exist. But yet there's this tension of holding these two things together. goes on and says this. Let's just hit the unpause button for a moment from Joseph. He showed him, God showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Oh, there you go. There's God at work. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. So here it is again. Joseph's character shines through. We learnt from last week where he was unjustly accused by Potiphar's wife and as a result of that was wound up in jail and we thought, me, gee, it just got complicated again. But he let his character speak for himself even in those false accusations and here he is in the prison, the guard himself actually determining and seeing that he's a trustworthy character so he elevates him. And as part of that elevation, he bumps into two particular people that wind up in the jail cell as well. It says some time later, we're not sure about how long, days, weeks, months, years, some time later, whilst God is with Joseph in the jail, this is what happens. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master. We're not told what they did wrong, but just that they offended the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. And so here we go. There's these two people who wind up down in the jail as well with Joseph. They've offended and they've got two really good jobs. One of them is a baker. There must have been a few bakers because this one is the chief one. He gets to cook food for Pharaoh. And then the other one is the cupbearer. Not sure, which you would prefer to choose between the two. The cupbearer gets to choose all the fine wines. And probably in that region it would be a lovely Shiraz. And so around there, you have the, the, the cupbearer and the baker both in jail because they've offended. Maybe they chose the wrong wine. Maybe he burnt the bread. He was displeased, and they end up in jail. And in that place in jail, we discover that they had a dream. And when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that the both of them, the cupbearer and the baker, were dejected. And so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, why do you look so sad today? And they said, both of us have had a dream in the middle of the night, and we don't know what the dream's all about, but we have no one to interpret it. Now, my understanding of that culture in that particular place, in about the Middle Bronze Age, for all the historians out there, You discovered that this particular culture was privy to dreams. They believed that God spoke through them, that they were important. You could have insight into the world around about you through dreams. In fact, when I speak to Iranian friends, they would tell you the same culture actually continues today. And so a dream wasn't just a dream, wasn't just a dream. It was actually important. And so they're dejected because they don't understand the insight into what the dreams are about. And Joseph, he says to them these words... Do not the interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Even in that place, Joseph hasn't hit the untrust button in God. He kind of points to him. Joseph himself, being a dreamer who once dreamt that his brothers, that his family would bow down to him one day. And that's why he got in trouble in the first place. And here we are, he's saying, Tell me your dreams. Well, the cupbearer, he says, Well, I'll tell you my dream. Anyone had a weird dream here before and you've wondered? You just wondered? I never have. (laughs) But his dream went something like this. He said, you know what? Um, I dreamt that there was a vine. And on the vine, there were three branches. And and the the branches started to bud and they started to cluster like the grapes were forming. And then when the grapes had really formed and become filled with, with their juice, he said, I would actually squeeze those grapes into the cup that Pharaoh was holding. He says, I have no idea what this dream's on about. And Joseph goes, well, that's easy. Um, My God can actually reveal that. In fact, I believe he's saying this about the dream, that in three days time, you are going to be restored to Pharaoh's company and you will be lifted out of jail. And so much so that Joseph believes in the interpretation of what he's saying, that he goes on and this is the first time we hear of Joseph's insight into what's actually happening into his inner world, his inner thoughts in his life. He says this, but when all goes well with you, remember me. When all goes well with you and you're restored to Pharaoh, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Remember me. I wonder if you've used any of your relationships in the past to get some leverage. Because this is exactly what Joseph is doing right here. He's using some of his friendships to try and figure out a way that he can get out of his predicament by leveraging. He thinks this is the first opportunity that I have to speak to someone with genuine power. And so here's my chance to actually go to Pharaoh and ask for something through someone else. Now let's just hit the pause button again for a moment. Has anyone here, whether you're following God or believe in Jesus or not, have you ever tried to construct a reality about how you're going to get out of a predicament? And so you've, you've thought through and you've, you've laid awake of a night time and you've thought through a plan about how it's going to work. Has anyone here done that? And often don't you find that the way in which you plan things out, they don't happen? Have you noticed that? Now let's add the God factor to it for a moment. Have you ever noticed that you've thought, ah, this is the way that God is going to do it. And you kind of map it out in your head. If you're a business person here today, you'll understand this completely. Your mind is constantly going with ways in which you're going to make the business. The family is going to. The idea and the situation is going to. And if God would just get on board, it'll be okay. You right? That happens? How many of you in that situation have found just often the opposite happening in the way in which you intended to leverage things doesn't eventuate. Well, this is exactly what happens to Joseph. Here he is wounding up in a complicated prison, in a complicated life, in a complicated situation. And he thinks to himself, as you or I would do, I wonder how I can leverage my opportunities. And what we find happens to Joseph along the way is a little bit more complicated. In fact, we pause for a moment here because in that moment, the baker... Hearing the good words that Joseph has said to the cupbearer, says, well, can I tell you my dream? He says, sure, tell me. He goes, well, my dream goes like this. I had three baskets on my head and they were all filled with goodies, but the one in the middle had like all of these amazing things that I'd cooked for Pharaoh. I mean, there were Danish pastries before they were even invented. There were coffee scrolls. There were baguettes. The French are going to make them in the future, but I'm just making them now. And I have whipped up this stuff, which is just fantastic. The only problem is Pharaoh's not eating them. Uh, Blackbirds are coming out of the sky and they're eating them out of the basket. I'm wondering what that means. And Joseph goes, well, uh, sorry to tell you this, but it's not good news. In fact, what's going to happen to you is that in three days' time, you're going to go before Pharaoh again and you're going to be hung just saying (laughs) what one of them's got out and the other one's not and huh and then three days later it's exactly what happens we find that three days later this is what it says pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast for all his officials And he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials and he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again he put into the uh, hand, um, the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hung, he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Now here's the kicker. Here's where the writer actually just wants to press in a little bit and give us some insight. Just in the moment where we think, hey, that's come about and the leverage is going to happen and Joseph's planning is going to take place just the way he intended, this is what it says. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And we find out that he forgot him for two years. Has anyone here ever felt forgotten, discarded, left out? I remember once being, I must have been about an eight-year-old and my family went up into a family trip up to Brisbane, a scary place up in Brisbane back then, a hundred years ago. We flew up there and we were going around a shopping centre. And it so happens with families, there were four boys and and mum and dad were trying to look after them all and we were walking through the shopping centre and I noticed after a while as we were walking through the stores that, you know, as a little kid you kind of look up, remember that moment, you look up and you realise they're gone, yeah. I remember looking up and going, oh my, there's a sea of people out here that I have no recollection of who they are and I'm by myself. Can you believe they left me in that shopping centre for four days? (laughs) Probably about four minutes. And I had a distraught mum coming, I'm not sure where dad was. (laughs) She picks me up, she gives me a hug, and she goes, I haven't forgotten you, I haven't forgotten you, I haven't forgotten you. I used to be a phys ed teacher. And there was this thing we used to arbitrarily do at the beginning of all of our phys ed lessons. And we cut it out pretty quick because we knew that it was kind of not the right thing to do. But you actually, you know how the drill went. The coach or the PE teacher would give you, uh, as a student, all authority in heaven and on earth to choose who would be in your team. Yeah? So that actually pull two people out in front of the whole class. And they would say, right, we're going to pick teams right now and you and you have all authority in heaven and on earth. To pick people and pass over other ones. you know the one? Do you ever remember being the last one? Or the second last one? Or even worse, the last four and they kind of just both turned their backs on you and went, yeah, well you can go, you pick the team. Yeah? How demoralizing that was, the overlooking. You see, what happens in those moments of being overlooked, what happens in those moments of being discarded is we begin to think, don't we? Am I of any worth? Am I of any value? Does anyone ever even take notice of me? Does anyone remember? How long will I be in this situation before anyone sees? Yeah? Let's apply that to a marriage. You're in a marriage situation. You've prayed. You've said, God, this is the right person. And you've found out that it's complicated and it's hard and it's difficult And you prayed about it and you're saying, this is a real struggle though. And I'm wondering, God, do you see? Do you care? Do you hear? You're a student at school and you did something wrong and you tried to make it better and it only got worse. And you kind of shut up these prayers to God and nothing's happened. And in fact, the situation has got worse and you're wondering, how am I going to leverage my way out of this? Does anyone care? Does anyone see? Maybe you've prayed for the ideal job. And you've got it, you've moved into that space and you've realised that actually it's going south and it's going further south and your livelihood's at stake. And you're wondering as you're shooting up those prayers or even just calling out to yourself, does anyone see, does anyone care, does anyone know? And the story of Joseph here in this place, in this prison, is simply one... Of biding time and seeing life through a different framework and a different perspective, God says in the book of Isaiah chapter 55, "My ways are higher than your ways." Now some of you here this morning might go, "Well, that's just a cop-out, isn't it?" But no, what Joseph discovers along the way is that even after two years that there's a God who knows, there's a God who sees. And that there's a God who remembers and that he keeps his promises. Let's jump forward 2,000 years because the same invisible bubble that I talked about at the beginning of our time together kind of sits around us all in different ways, doesn't it? God, if I come to know you, Jesus, if I come to trust you, my life will get uncomplicated, won't it? In fact, we kind of do that bidding along, if I come and follow you, what will you kind of do for me? Or else, what's the point in following you in the first place? And 2,000 later, another J by the name of Jesus, who claims to be God in the flesh, has this conversation with one of his disciples by the name of Peter. Peter says, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus, and the subtext is, what's in it for us? And Jesus comes back with these remarkable words. Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and my good news about God's availability of his life and his forgiveness, his good news of his kingdom's here um, and that his gospel is real, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean to tell me that if I come to follow Jesus, that I will be top of the list of the housing real estate market? No, no. What he's talking about is this, is that when someone actually comes to trust in the person of Jesus, it's as though he welcomes them into an entirely new family. You can be from the Sudan, you could be from any of the Arabian Peninsula, you can be from Korea, you could be from Australia, and you get welcomed into this larger kind of family where those people view what they have in different ways and so they can share them, if you like, it's as though they've become a new brother and sisterhood. He says that you get welcomed in my eternal family, but it's present and real right now, but along the way I want you to understand that there's troubles and trials and challenges. That invisible bubble... It's kind of real, but not real. You see, because I want you to know this. I promise you that in the age to come, there'll be eternal life. And he says to his disciples in another place, I promise that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even in the midst of complications where you're wondering, God, are you here? I can't see you. Have you forgotten me? Are you even there? Aren't these our real life questions? We discover through the story of Joseph, not just a nice, complicated story to make us feel good, but in the real, tough, gritty stuff of life that he comes to discover over time. That there is a God who sees. That there is a God who remembers you. And that there is a God who keeps his promises even to the end of the age it's complicated isn't it i remember a gentleman an older professor of mine saying i don't remember or i don't think i'll ever discover on this side of eternity why god allowed my wife to drive out the front driveway of our house on that particular morning and when she looked down the road she didn't see a car that was coming And then she pulled her car out and it came cycling into her and she was killed immediately. But he still sees. I choose to believe he still knows. And he remembers. He remembers. I wonder if you're here this morning and you need to hear that there is a God in the midst of your complications remembers you and will keep his promises. And just because your life is complicated right now doesn't mean that he's not there, that he's not there, that he doesn't care. He sees and knows. And he cares. And he loves. And it's complicated. But it's also life-giving and real and hopeful because he's present. band are going to come up in a moment and they're going to play a song and I just would like us, if it's okay, to pause for a moment and allow for God to speak to us. Because maybe you are in the midst of that marriage. Maybe you are in the midst of that complicated job situation maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering god are you there this whole jesus thing seems to be just pie in the sky and yet there's other people i kind of know whose lives have been changed by him and they see the same situation with different eyes it's as though to them that a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years they see life differently because there's a different perspective I met a family, mum and dad, a month ago. I went to a function (coughs) and I hadn't seen them for 14 years. See, 14 years ago, their young 21-year-old, around then, son. He got an infection in the brain and he died. Part of our church community. Part of our bigger family. Boy, were there some searching questions. Does God see? Does God hear? Does God remember? Does he keep his promises? As I met them, I couldn't quite connect the frame until I was looking in their eyes and I thought, no, no, I know this couple, I know- how do I know them? And then I remembered. I know your boy. So I said to them, I remember your boy. <laughs> Just started to stream out of her eyes. Boy, just hit that button. You could almost hear her saying, Someone's remembered. Someone has remembered. Thank you. we often live in a world where people forget. If that's just a portion of the way God sees and he hears and he remembers and he keeps promises. I wonder the day when someone who places their trust in Jesus on the other side of this reality with joy and tears in their eyes might be able to say you did remember you never forgot even in my complications and doubts and hardship you didn't it was worth it it was worth flexing my arms of trust and not hit the untrust button there were times I hit untrust and then trust and untrust and then trust but i trust so i wonder if you're here this morning and just as these guys quietly play before they invite you to give thanks to god and if that's your space and you want to do that if you're just checking him out i understand but just for you That you might invite him in this place into your situation, your marriage, your job, your school, your work, and you might call out to him because he's the God who sees, he's the God who remembers, he is the God who keeps his promises. Maybe you need some courage here today. That you might ask him, Give me your courage because I'm in jail and it doesn't feel like you're here. Would you give me courage? Or maybe, Would you give me endurance? because I feel like giving up. And he's inviting you once again, even in the midst of complications, to say, would you entrust yourself to me? That in this space, in this time, my ways are higher than yours, but I love and I give and I rose for you and I'm for you. Only just in the quiet for a little time that you might just have some prayer space and then Cindy invite us. And if you want to respond in this exuberance of thanks, then you join in too.